Hi everyone, it's Andrew. I'm an account manager for Action Coach UK. This month's Undercovers, John interviews Phil Hesketh, and they talk about his new book, Persuade. Enjoy this episode, you're going to love it. Okay, so welcome to today's podcast uh, with a great speaker, Phil Hesketh, not only just a great speaker, but a great author. So Phil, welcome to Under the Covers. Thank you very much. Um, so for those of you that know Phil or have seen Phil speak, you'll, you'll know that he's, uh, he majors it in uh, persuasion, psychology and influence. And he's an Amazon number one bestseller with his book, How to Persuade and Influence People. And today we're going to talk mainly about uh, your latest book, Phil, which is called Persuade. I think the first question I'd like to ask you is, why did you start writing books? Frankly, I set out with the objective of being the best speaker in the world. Why not? Somebody said to me very early on, where's your book? Didn't have a book. How can you be the best speaker in the world if you don't have a book? Okay, it's a good point, isn't it? So that's why I wrote the first book. And then it got a good reception and I enjoyed doing it and people said it was worthwhile. So I wrote a second one and then I wrote the third one. I think it was described um, from Amazon as the best book on persuasion and influence. I have a lot of friends. <laughs> it, it, there was no backhanders in that one then, Phil, was there? <laughs> I've never actually done backhanders, but clearly, you know, everybody in every walk of life has friends. And I don't just mean people you socialise with and have a beer with, but people who like what you do. And I'm very lucky in that there's a few people who like what I do and are willing to write things. I've, I've never asked anybody to. Do you know one of the great things about you, Mr. Hesketh, is I, I've been fortunate enough to see you speak a couple of times. So I saw you in Brighton um, five, five, six years ago, I think it was now. And I saw you in Harrogate, um, which I think is your where you live now, where, you, where you're based now. Yeah, the Action Coach gig in Harrogate is my perfect gig because I had breakfast at home and dinner at home <laughs> and went out works <laughs> absolutely perfect gig I and then in the afternoon and i think one thing that is true for anybody that you speak to sometimes it comes across a stand-up comedy it's that funny uh, but it's got a great business spin on it uh, so how did you learn that or is that just you do you know i, I i've asked myself that question because uh, it's a bit like for example i've got a new car at the moment and there's a new car smell isn't there and there nobody's is. been to reproduce it and I thought wouldn't it be good if you could reproduce that smell everybody's trying and I think it's the same thing with this thing that I do it kind of comes out funny almost like it's not my fault but if I were to trace back the roots of what I do in these deeply embedded multiple metaphors and loops that I do I think it's probably down to uh, Ronnie Corbett on the two Ronnies on a Saturday night, I used to love Ronnie Corbett sitting in the big black chair and telling stories and weaving away and around. Now, I, I didn't consciously study that, but I think that's where it's from. That's the only, it's the only source I think I've got. But I, I've kind of got funny bones. It just comes out funny. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about your background then. Um... I know you've obviously you had an extremely successful business career before you became a speaker and an author. So maybe just start right at the beginning. Why did you start up in business? I, um, I went to university to do psychology because I wanted to be a psychologist. And I just liked behavior and why people did what they did. And the psychologist at Ashton Hospital had an NGBGT and I thought, well, that'll do for me. 
Because, you know, at 16, you're quite impressionable, aren't you? Yeah. So I worked in the local hospital and uh, in the psychiatric ward, and I did a degree in psychology. And the plan was to be a psychologist. But I genuinely felt like saying to the patients, oh, just pull yourself together, for goodness sake, get on with it, you know. And I, so I didn't have the temperament for it. I, I, I applaud the people who do. It just wasn't for me. So I saw an ad when I was at university and it said, are you, you know, outgoing, confident, and all these things. And I ticked all the boxes and it happened to be for Procter & Gamble. So I applied for the job, got the job, and loved selling soap powder. Loved getting involved in the marketing of the soap powder and why do people buy Daz rather than Purcell? What is it? And I became interested in what's now known as trolleyology, you know, the whole shopping psychology in the supermarket. It, it enthused me, it excited me. So I moved into advertising and then set up principles because, well, why not? You know, I wanted to kind of do my own thing. Um, that became one of the largest advertising agencies in the North, right? Yeah, well, it's the biggest privately owned agency outside London. Yeah, it wasn't actually the, the biggest agency, uh, but the, the only ones that were bigger than us were part of Pangalactics. Hmm. Uh, we were just owned you know so yeah we were the pri- largest privately owned agency yeah. and certainly one of the biggest outside of London and obviously one of the things that you're mastering and, and when people go and see you talk or they read your books it's really about persuasion and influence how would you explain what persuasion and influence is well first of all I think there's a difference between the two I think persuasion is something you do to someone so if you went home tonight and said um, guess what I've been persuaded to do you wouldn't be feel good about it. Yeah. If you went home and said, guess what, um, guess what I've been sold today, you wouldn't feel good about it. So you don't want to be persuaded. I think influence is something that you have on people. And the new way of selling, as I describe it, is not about turning features into benefits, but about feeling that you and I are in this together. And so, for example, my first book, I wrote 10 Closes, which was the assumptive close, the alternative assumptive close, the 50 pence a night close. I could go on. And the more I've worked on this, the more I've worked with people, I've realized, actually, all you really need is shall we go ahead. It it should be as simple as will you marry me, that you've got to the point where you know what the answer is and the other person feels like you're genuinely interested in them. You genuinely care about the future because people don't do what you want them to do because they don't think their future will be better. It comes down to that. So therefore, if you're influencing somebody, they get to the point where I think my future, and the future might be that afternoon, or it might be the next 10 years, <coughs> my future will be better if I do this with this person. Yeah. Now, the majority of people that will be listening, and some of them watching to this, are going to be small to medium-sized business owners. Now, the we know that the majority of small to medium, the high majority, should I say, of small to medium-sized business owners offer, offer great products and great services. What we also know is true is they're not necessarily that good at explaining why a customer should purchase those products and services from them and, and not their counterpart across the road. So if you could teach the people that are listening anything about the power of influence, what do you think they should be focused on You know, in those meetings that they're having with people to get across okay. how... They should be buying from them, not somebody else. Well, the most important thing for me is that people do things for their reasons and not yours. But whatever you're selling, whether it's a product or a service, a small business, a large business, people will buy from you for their reasons and not for yours. So 
and you've heard me say this in, at Brighton and Harrogate as well, the single most important question is always to ask every client, what is the most important thing to you about? So if you're a joiner and you're going to somebody's house and they want a new door, you say, what's the most important thing about the door? And it could well be security, or it could be that it lasts longer because it's in the wind. You know, whatever it might be, what's the most important thing to you about? And then what are your expectations? And usually problems arise and people have disagreements because somebody didn't do what they said they were going to do or somebody didn't reach the expectations. And I often think, for example, staying in hotels is, is about two things. One is standards, one's expectations. So if you stay in a hotel, uh, the hotel's got its standards, whatever those are, whether it's the Premier Inn or the, um, you know, the, the Ritz-Carlton, they've got their standards, and you've got your expectations. So if your expectations are bettered, you know, it's, it's better than you expected, you're happy. But if it's not, you're not. So it isn't that... Um, it isn't that the hotel is a good or bad hotel. It's like, what were, what were my expectations? Yeah. So what a lot of people, I think, do wrong is they, they get into this, let's turn features into benefits. And one of the great questions you can ask, because for me, you've got to arouse curiosity. If I was an, an SME, if you want one little tip, it's always ask what's the most important thing to you, what are your expectations? But here's another great question. Say to somebody, do you know the main reason people don't buy from us? And two things happen. One is they want to know what the reason is that people don't buy. And the other is they think, oh, you're honest. <laughs> people don't buy. So he said, do you know the reasons people don't buy? You then give them a positive reason. So, for example, do you know the main reason people don't buy from us? Uh, no, what is it? Well, people just don't appreciate that this thing in three years' time were just as good as it was now, whereas our competitors aren't. In other words, you turn it into a positive, but we try too hard, <laughs> whatever it might be. You actually see, ask them for a negative. They're curious, and then you give them a, a, good, a good answer that suits your purpose. I think one thing that you, you mentioned as well a little bit earlier on, uh, the great thing with you, Phil, is you, you give away so many golden nuggets. You don't realise when you—I don't think you realise when you're giving them. Sometimes, and you're so right that when people come and sell you something, they always focus on the reasons and tell you the reasons why you should buy it, versus finding out from them first what it is that they want and focusing only on that, because um, everything else is just sort of noise. Yeah. It's when my wife and I went to buy uh, this car recently, and people kept turning features into benefits. And the Honda dealer, I didn't, I didn't buy a Honda, but he said the most important thing uh, about cars is reliability. And he was kind of wagging his finger at me, telling me, and Honda's won prices for reliability. I said, no, it's not. What? I said, reliability is a given. It's a brand new car. These days, reliability is a given. Ask me what's important. And what's important is the size of the boot and all manner of things. But the, I find it so frustrating that people just turn features into benefits instead of asking questions. Um, so even if you do want to say, look, I just got to convey this point. I want to tell people that our wood is stronger or whatever it might be. Well, ask them a question. You know the biggest single reason people don't buy from us? Uh, no, what is it? People don't realize just how strong this wood is. In other words, you decide what your point is, but you ask them a question in order to get there. And then they think you're being more honest and fair, and you are. 
Uh, talk to us through the, the, the latest book that you published then, uh, well, Persuade. What, what's the, in fact, now let me ask a better question. Now that we're talking about questions, who should be buying and reading this book? It's a bit too easy to say everyone. Yep. Uh, I think that I read something recently. I don't know if it's true because I couldn't really sort of pin down the source. But according to this quote research, this over eighty percent of business books aren't finished. So you you buy one, you start reading it, and you don't actually finish it because it's dull. And um, I'm in a book club and I read all manner of books because my friends tell me to read a book which I wouldn't normally have bought. And they're all written by professional authors who don't sell a book unless it's interesting and engaging and funny and interesting. So it's not a novel. Um, But to answer your question, who should write? I write about what is it that makes us tick, the seven psychological drivers of all human beings. And... Every time I chat to people about the seven drivers, everybody says, yeah, that's me. That's what makes me tick. So to answer your question, it's anybody who's interested in influencing people. That's not me trying to sell the book. It's just difficult to you know, pinpoint. It's useful if you work in public services, but it's most useful if you're in sales and you're client-facing. So. Anybody that's communicating with another human being, I think, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> and wants to get better at it. They've got to be better. They've got to have that want that they want to get better at that communication. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you work in an industry where you're not client-facing and you don't care about how well you get on with people, well, don't bother buying the book, you know. So, <laughs> 90% of people want to be better. They just want, don't want it enough to yeah. read a book and and make a difference and so on and so talk to us through the book then um, what's the book about what are you going to get through reading it well as I said the root of it is what is it that makes us tick this is it and it says on the front using the seven drivers to master influence and persuasion so what I argue is that if you understand what makes people tick that we all want to be loved we want to be important in our own way we want a balance of certainty and uncertainty in our lives you know we all want more we all need a place and so on. So I talk about all these things that motivate us. So how do you influence people then, knowing what it is that makes people tick? So to answer your question, it is through understanding that quite a lot of psychological studies in the book that say, in that case, this is what you've got to ask. So, for example, I talk about the balance that we need in our lives for certainty and uncertainty. So um, I this weekend... Uh, I'll do the park run on Saturday morning. I want to know what time it starts at nine o'clock. And I'll be certain I've got my little barcode and I'll be certain I'll turn up. Everybody will be, I want to be certain of those things. But I don't actually want the certainty of what time I'll do because I want to beat last week's time because we all want more. We need a balance of certainty and uncertainty in our lives. And people don't do what you want them to do because they're uncertain about something in the future. So therefore, one of the questions to ask is, is there anything you're uncertain about? And people are a bit frightened to ask that because, well, they might be uncertain about lots of things. Well, let's find out what it is. Everybody worries. And most people worry mainly about things that aren't going to happen. <laughs> it's just a fact of life. We worry about things. So often people will not do what you want them to do because they're worried. They don't want to tell you what their worry is because they feel it's trivial, really. But if, if they're worried about it, they're worried. 
if a friend says to you, I'm really worried about this, and you say, ah, you need to worry about that, it doesn't help, because they're still worried about it. Yeah. Let's talk about this. So, what are the other six? Well, the first three are, we all want to be loved, we want to be important, and we want to belong. We want to be part of a gang, we want to be part of a clique, we want to feel part of something. And when you say, you know, anybody, what's the most important thing in your life? They always say family. Why is that? Because you feel loved, because you feel important, because you belong. So those are the first three. The next four are, we have a strong need and drive and desire to believe in things. And people believe in things that aren't true. And a lot of people uh, have a belief that they'll never shift in their life, even if they're given evidence to say that it's wrong, because they've got a belief. So... Again, in terms of using that drive, you've got to say to people, not, well, you're wrong on that, because that's one of the least persuasive things you can say. You've got to say, oh, that's interesting. What draws you to that conclusion? Oh, what makes you think that way? Is there any evidence to support that? Let's chat it through. So we want to believe. Then, as I mentioned, we need a balance of certainty and uncertainty in our lives. Then we all want more. I've never, ever spoken at a sales conference where the MD of the sales director great last year. So this year, we just want average. Nobody ever wants to have, everybody wants a bit more. And then finally, we all want a place. And we like to have a place that we call our own. And if you look at what it is that causes more stress on people, like getting divorced and moving house and losing your job, it, it's all because it, it bites into all these seven psychological drivers. I think what's, what, what I'm also getting from this as well is it's not just necessarily about persuasion and influence, but it's ultimately it's about communication. It's anybody that's communicating with anybody. Yeah, and also people tend to think about communication as what they need to say. And it's not what you need to say, it's what you need to hear. Um, people often say, you know, I need to speak to my people. No, no, you need to listen to them. You know, and it, let's have a chat. In other words, I want to talk to you. No, try and understand what it is I want first. So communication for me is more about listening than it is about speaking. I love that. And again, it goes back to what you were saying early on. We're so focused on what it is what we've got to tell somebody. Sometimes people don't have the time to listen to what it is that people want. Whether that's in sales, in business, or in, in your relationships outside as well. Yeah. And you notice, if somebody interrupts you when, you when you're speaking, just notice how, however they started what they were going to say, and you interrupt them and they... However long it is, they'll go back and they'll say exactly what they were going to say. So people have got this thing in their head and they want to say it. And you can interrupt them and you can pause and you can wait, wait, wait. But bang, they'll go straight back to what they're going to say because they haven't changed what they're going to say because of what you've said. So, for example, you know, I say in the book, one of the most persuasive things you can say is when you say, so allow me to explain that. So if you said to me, um, well, the issue I've got is I just don't have enough time. Okay, when you say you don't have enough time, what do you mean by that exactly? So in other words, it forces you into feeding back the same words so they expand on it. Because most people think you're a great conversationalist when they're doing the talking. Yeah, I, I take something very similar to that, which is based on um, surface-level communication, what people say, and then true communication, which is what people mean. And we never really get to the true communication unless we ask them 
what do you mean by what you've just said? And that's when you'll get the, the actual feeling part versus just the lingo, just the words. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's it about the feeling part, not about the lingo, not about the words, yeah. as you say. I mean, people say some daft things. Like, people, you know, you say, oh, the traffic was bad today. Oh, tell me about it. Okay, yeah, I will. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, So what people say, what they mean is a different thing. Absolutely. Um, so if you, if you read this book, what are you going to leave with? So what, what are the afters for people? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I would say I'd like to think that people will finish the book because yeah. it's um, In fact, I got a quote from the managing director of um, Bank of America, and he said, it's very good and very worthwhile. I said some nice things. Then he said, it's also hilarious. And I was quite pleased with that, really, because so – in order to get the afters, you have to read the book. You know, if you don't get the afters, you don't read ten percent of it. And I find a lot of business books. I'm reading one at the moment called The Righteous Mind, and it's very good, very worthy. But my goodness me, it's dull. You yes, know, plow- books are really tough read. Um, yeah. But your, yours are more like comedy novels. There's a there's a joke on every page, and I don't think you mean to do it. No, I don't mean to do it, but it does come out funny. But. But to, to go back to your question, what are the afters? The afters are, I understand I need to ask more questions, and these are the questions I need to ask. Whether that's, that's about sales, marketing, management, communication, relationships, th- those questions that you teach in that book, I know because I've read it, are really going to help improve those relationships. For sure. I mean, I've got 50 what I call killer questions and I'm honing them and polishing them and working on them all the time. They change a little bit every year because people give me feedback and I think, oh, that's good. I mean, for example, I have a number of perfect questions, which is, uh, well, what would make this perfect for you in an ideal world? What would you have? And I was working in Florida earlier this year and a lawyer said to me, he said, oh, I use a perfect question. What I say is, if this pen were a magic wand, what would you have it do? And I thought, oh, I really like that. So I've added that in as one of my perfect questions. If this pen were a magic wand, what would you have it do? It's just a great question, is it? So um, I'd like to think that what people will get out of it is uh, it's funny, it's amusing, it's engaging. But at the end of it, I get why I have to ask questions. And here are the questions I have to ask. Yeah, I think that's, that's a downfall of a lot of um published books which is you leave knowing you've got to do something but you don't necessarily leave knowing how to do it yeah and with yours you've got god hundreds of different things that you can implement immediately and as you're reading it as well you don't actually have to get to the end before you can start implementing what you've already learned yeah i mean i've, I've had a good foot because of what i do for a living i've had the good fortune to work with and speak on the same stage as uh, athletes and politicians and people who've really achieved stuff and athletes in particular um and they're always very good and very amusing and it's always basically try harder run a bit quicker you know and a lot of people said to me i'm not quite sure what to do i've been listened to i don't want to name anybody i've been listened to this what do i do because i'm not an athlete you know because they don't specify the afters yeah try harder Absolutely. Well, for those of you that have been listening, no doubt you'll want to go and, and buy the book. We'll put the link. Uh, best place to buy it from Amazon? Yeah, Amazon's nice and easy. Just either type my name or the word persuade into Amazon and away you go, yeah. 
Um, so for those of you who will post a link on Amazon on how to get the book, it'd be really good to get some feedback from the people that have read it, the people that have purchased it, have read it, uh, give us some feedback on the book on the podcast as well. Uh, but thank you ever so much for putting the time aside to speak to us today. Uh, I know how, how busy your schedule is. So thanks for being under the covers with me today, Phil. Real pleasure. Speak again soon. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Hey team, thanks ever so much for listening to the podcast. Phil Hesketh, what a great speaker he is and what a story he tells. For those of you that are interested in finding out more about Phil, he's going to be joining us at our annual Business Excellence Forum, which we're holding down in sunny Wales at the Celtic Manor in 2020. There's already 1,400 business owners that are, that are going to be attending that event, so make sure that you get your tickets soon. Now, please... You guys that have listened to this and you've got a question, please follow me on Twitter. That's at John Asquith. That's at J-O-N-A-S-Q-U-I-T-H. Find me a question over. I'll definitely answer it for you within 24 hours. Speak to you on the other side.